coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 63 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Stat, and we have a full house this week as I'm joined by Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, and Laura Lozano. We have a pair of great guests this week as the voice of the Houston Rackets, Craig Ackerman, joins us in just a few moments. And Dylan Vador, who joined the show on episode 42, calls in to discuss the 2016 elections. Two great guests, and we hope you enjoy those interviews. But before we jump into our show, Kevin, this week marks one year since your debut on the show. Happy birthday. Oh, uh, thank you. I didn't even realize that was the case. Uh, it has been a long time. It, honestly, a year feels like two years, three years uh, of age significantly doing this podcast. But it's been a joy, and you guys are wonderful to work with. And I think we've put together a pretty spectacular product, and uh, about 6,500 6, Houstonians agree with us. I, I, I would say that's why we're the voice of Houston. Yes, that is why we're the voice of Houston. Also because we self-declared ourselves that that's... Uh, that's <laughs> and no one can take that away from Not us. Not one person. I've checked legally. Uh, we, we went to council, and uh, nobody can take that from us. So, uh, Jeremy, college football this weekend, crazy games, insane games. Our Baylor Bears somehow snuck out a last-second win on the road in Ames, Iowa. Uh, U of H looked good, moved up to number five in the polls. Texas lost. Love it. What were your reactions? Uh, you know, I was uh, really disappointed to see Baylor uh, come out as poorly as they did in literally all of the game. Uh, save for the last part of the fourth quarter. I mean, they, they did keep up with uh, the, uh, the Cyclones there, but um, it, it was really disappointing to see uh, the defense in particular. It looked so good in some parts against Okie State, just completely collapse against what is one of the poorest offenses in the Big 12. So um, I, I just it was sort of baffled by the, um, by the performance there. But then again, like let's give Iowa State credit. I mean, they do typically knock off uh, a team every year that they're not supposed to uh, beat whether it be Oklahoma State here a couple years ago when Oklahoma State was uh, slated to go to the BCS title game. Um, every year, Iowa State uh, usually uh, pulls off some kind of upset. So that wasn't surprising. What was surprising is um, how Baylor just kind of collapsed there. But, you know, credit to the Bears. They did pull out a win uh, there, of course, depending on Chris Callahan there at the very end. Uh, but overall, uh, not a uh, not a confidence booster for Baylor fans going in here, uh, going into a long bye week stretch. Yeah, absolutely fascinating this weekend. Uh, just a slate of games. Uh, that Louisville Clemson game on Saturday night was phenomenal. And Louisville coming here on November 17th to TDECU Stadium to take on the Cougs. You moved it up to number five in the country, and this is the second consecutive season that U of H opened the season 5-0, and and that's the first time that's happened in consecutive seasons in program history. So absolutely great job that Tom Herman is doing. And uh, Dolores, uh, this is the first time we've seen you in a few months. Uh, how was the Miss Texas competition? How was Miami? What's going on? Uh, the Miss Ta- Texas competition was really fun. I met a lot of wonderful women there. It was a great experience. Miami was great, crazy. I don't know if I could live there. Um, but I did enjoy watching the Louisville Clemson game this weekend. Lamar Jackson's great to watch. And I was actually really glad Clemson pulled through because we need. Uh, I wanted Louisville to go down in the polls for the Cougars. Well, on the other hand, though, if Louisville's higher in the polls and they play them, the Cougars beat them. If you're optimistic, if you're of that bent of mind, that ultimately would help more, I think, than Louisville dropping from that Clemson game. So I, I personally, since U of H has an opportunity to beat Louisville, just thinking as a Cougs fan, as a former Coug, as a guy who's uh, you know very near and dear to my heart are the Houston Cougars, I would have preferred to see uh, Louisville win that game. And also, we had some coffee riding on it from our Pick'em contest as well. That's absolutely correct. And uh, Louisville did not fall much in the polls. Uh, really, their only true test coming up in the season left is U of H. And so I think Louisville is still in the picture for the playoffs. And it's crazy that uh, the ACC right now has two teams that potentially could be playoff contenders when in past years we've suggested that, uh, you know, maybe the ACC doesn't deserve one team. So uh, it's, it's really interesting landscape in college football and also Oregon. If you guys have uh, stayed up late to watch some of those West Coast games, looks absolutely atrocious this year. Uh, we thought Charlie Strong and Texas had terrible defense. It looks like Oregon might actually have a worse defense, which is kind of shocking. But uh, another big news this week, uh, the president debates. Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, uh, there have been 11 post-debate polls in swing states so far, and Hillary Clinton has led in all 11, so something significantly changed. And if you look at 538, 
Hillary Clinton is a 67.3% chance of winning, while Donald Trump sits at 32.7%. And just prior to the debate on September 26th, Trump was within nine points in the projections. So obviously things are fluid, things are moving around, but Trump's approval ratings have fallen significantly since this debate. And we're going to get into that a little bit more here with Dylan Bedore in just a few moments. But one thing that I also wanted to point out is there was a uh, uh, an organization called Ultraviolet Action. It's a national women's advocacy organization. Uh, okay, well, there you go. Uh, they announced this past week that they were commissioning airplanes to fly over college football stadiums in five swing states on Saturday uh, that, you know, uh, essentially highlighted Trump's long record of the misogyny. And uh, the, the planes, they carried banners on Saturday that says, quote, Trump says women are pigs. Disagree? Question mark. Vote. And uh, the games that these planes flew over it were Michigan Stadium, so that was Michigan-Wisconsin, Ohio State versus Rutgers, Iowa versus Northwestern, Temple versus SMU, and Duke versus Virginia. But I, I get the whole purpose of having those planes and getting your message out, but are you really going to make a difference at a college football stadium? Well, there's a lot of people gathered in one place. First of all, I'd like to say Ultraviolet, a terrific organization, as I blurted out a minute ago. I don't know whether they're going to leave that or not. I do da- donate to them, and I frequently get emails from Nita and Shauna at Ultraviolet, and I appreciate their insight into what's going on in the world, and uh, and I support them wholeheartedly. So I would recommend anybody listening to go check out that organization and get involved. Uh, it's a great cause that they uh, stand for. Things flying over college football games is just a terrific concept in general, and if you're doing it to slam Trump and, Trump and make some sort of a difference, some sort of a statement, I support that even more. So I would love to get in touch with somebody at one of these games and hear the reaction uh, <laughs> this to a whole, I would imagine there'd probably be some crowd noise in response to it as it sort of flies over. I think that's money wasted, to be honestly. I mean, I think that it's great that they're getting the message out against Donald Trump. I, I am a Republican. I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump this November. Uh, but at a college football game, like seriously, I mean, you've got 100,000 people. Yeah, great. You've got a huge audience. Problem is, people are out tailgating. People are out drinking. They're not paying attention to the plane that's flying over. Right. You can't fly over during a game because there's restricted airspace. So they're spending all of this money sending a sign over a tailgate area in which, I'm sorry, I'm going to worry about the booze, the music, the barbecue, rather than what's flying overhead. And uh, Jeremy, you wanted to jump in for a second? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's think about why do people go to college football games? It's a, it's an escape. It's a retreat, right? Football is uh, America's pastime. So why would you go to a football game and want to see more political advertising? I mean, kids, everybody watches it day in, day out on TV. They hear it on radio. Uh, they see it on social media. So why would you want to go to a football game and see more political advertising? I mean, I, I certainly I see what they're trying to do. I just think it's uh, yeah, it's money wasted. But and again, you know, talking about uh, Donald Trump's record with women. I mean, here going in the second debate, I know Donald Trump's going to bring up Bill Bill Clinton's record with women, which is uh, is you know, arguably more deplorable. But anyways, that being said, um, it's I'll argue that. By the way. Yeah, I don't think it's even remotely uh, yeah. close. But well. Uh, uh. Jennifer Flowers. Yeah, he was he was in a Playboy softcore porn film that we apparently found out about this week. But uh, to say that you know uh, that Bill Clinton's on the up and up in terms of relationships with women is a little bit absurd. I mean, uh, you know, Monica Lewinsky, Paula Jones, several rape, yeah, several rape several accusations. Rape accusations. So, Trump has had those accusations as well. I'm just saying. Right. So, I would right. not say that but, one but is ahead of the other. I agree. They're both deplorable people, in my opinion. And to me, that that's bothersome that Hillary uh, has attacked those women that have accused Bill of rape and sexual assault. And that that's, to me, something hard to justify, is that she attacks those women that have come forward, uh, but then she also claims to protect those women. Uh, so to me, it's it's a mixed message, and I think she's doing whatever she can to gain that edge when it fits her best. So obviously, I'm not satisfied with either candidate. Uh, my candidate that I was hoping to support was Gary Johnson, after the Aleppo incident and then this past week where he couldn't name a foreign leader that he respected, I'm very, very much questioning whether or not I can vote for Gary Johnson because, as I've mentioned, there are three key issues that I vote on, energy, the economy, and foreign policy. And so with Gary Johnson not being able to prove to me that he has an adequate foreign policy and that he can name foreign leaders, that he can name uh, you know key places in Syria, I don't know that I can give him that check mark for a foreign policy. So 
I don't know who I give it to. And that's really frustrating as a voter. Well, hey, from Gary Johnson's perspective, not knowing where Aleppo is is better than wanting to bomb it. So, you know, that should have been his comeback. But again, you know, he was sort of caught off guard. I don't I honestly don't hold that against him. I think Gary Johnson is a lot of other things that uh, make it hard for me to consider him as a candidate, not to mention that he's just, you know, he's got no chance in the general. But, um, you know, it's it's it'll be interesting seeing how the the, the polls uh, sort of move around after the debate. Um, you know, and even now with uh, some of this, what, so this tax return stuff from Donald Trump coming out, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of moves and shifts things. If there's one thing about the debates, you know, we, of course, we talk about this with Dylan, is that they don't really move the needle anywhere, but this election is sort of unlike any other. So we really don't, we don't really have a measuring stick to see whether or not uh, these debates will uh, give Hillary or Donald the edge. Uh, so again, the first of three debates happened this past week, and uh, we'll have Dylan Bedore on in just a few moments to discuss that. And uh, obviously, America is frustrated with the political system right now. And, you know, over these next 40 days, as we head into the general election, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how America uh, reacts and how America responds and where our place in the world turns out to be. But Kevin, it was interesting last night. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, I'm going to be heading to France uh, here at the end of the week, going to Paris, Nice, and Monaco. And uh, one of my friends in the group thread, we were discussing, uh, you know, kind of trip planning. And he said that he was watching college football and drinking whiskey and how he wished that he had macaroons. And this text came at like 10 o'clock at night. He said that he was going to get a bunch of uh, macaroons in Paris. But I told him, why would you go all the way to Paris to have macaroons when you can have great macaroons? here in the city of Houston. That's right. You pronounced it correctly on the second one there. I appreciate that. That was much better. Uh, I've been instructed how to pronounce it by the uh, owners of We Desserts, our sponsor, who we love dearly. We is, of course, a French word. I don't hold that against them. It's O-U-I Desserts at 3411 Kirby, and they make the best macaron in the city uh, and also the best everything else. Really, anything that's tasty or delicious, just sit there in your chair or on your uh, workout equipment, whatever you're doing at the moment. Think of the most delicious thing you can imagine. Do you have it? They have that at Wii, and it's better than you can even fathom. So you should go to Wii Desserts, ask for anything in the world that you like. They'll figure out a way to make it for you, to make you happy. That's what they do there. Uh, Penny and Jen are the proprietors, and if you tell them that we at the Weekly Brew sent you by, you'll get a 10% discount off of your order. So it's like only paying nine-tenths of what someone else would pay for something. It's a very great deal. Absolutely. Make sure that you stop by We Desserts. Tell Penny and Jen that the Weekly Brew sent you by. You'll get 10% off of your order. Check them out at 3411 Kirby here in Houston. And, uh, you know, we also want to make sure that you follow us on our social media channels. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We've got some great content there each week, uh, some hilarious content that is kind of uh, driven toward our, uh, you know, dedicated listeners. So we want to make sure that you follow that as well. But uh, here in just a few moments, we're going to have Craig Ackerman join us. He is the play-by-play voice for the Houston Rockets on 790 here in Houston, and he's actually going to be taking over the uh, play-by-play duties on the road games this year for Root Sports. So we had a great conversation with him about his history with the Rockets, what we can expect for the season, and kind of uh, some of his memories for the team. Also, as mentioned at the top of the show, we've got Dylan Bedore, who joined us on episode 42. He works for the Houston Chronicle and uh, covers politics and uh, essentially issues within the state of Texas. We talked election 2016 with him. So without further ado, we have a packed show on deck. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Craig Ackerman, who has served as the radio voice of Houston Rockets since the 2008-2009 season. And on September 22nd, the Rockets announced that Ackerman will join Matt Bullard courtside on Root Sports for the bulk of the Rockets' road schedule this season. And uh, Craig, first off, both myself and Kevin have been huge fans of the work that you've done on the radio for the franchise. And for someone who has spent the past 22 years with the Rockets organization, what does this opportunity mean for you? Well, thanks. Uh, thank you for the kind words, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, the way I equate it is that, you know, not often in one's career um, are you presented, in whatever walk of life you're in, are you presented a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and that's what was presented to me back in 2008 following Gene Peterson and Jim Foley's retirement to take over on the radio side, and and now here in, in 2016, as we await the, the start of this new season, um, I've been given sort of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity number two. So I'm really excited about it. Um, needless to say, I can't wait for the, the season to begin and uh, to sort of uh, start this new phase of my career. I'm really, really excited. 
Well, we are excited on your behalf, and we certainly think you're very well deserving of that uh, that bump up in promotion. We're excited for you as well. I'm curious, just you know, I, I do I've done a little bit of broadcasting, not much, but I always kind of listen to guys and I, I take account of that sort of thing. What's going to be the difference between being the radio voice and being the occasional TV voice for the Rockets? Well, I you know the mechanics of the two things, uh, mediums are, are very different. Obviously, in radio, um, you're in charge of everything. You're responsible for everything. It's your responsibility, you know, to paint the picture for people because. They can't see it, so you've got to, uh, to the best of your ability, try to literally describe any and everything um, that you see out there on the floor. Um, television, obviously, is, is, is very different. Um, television is more of an analyst medium. Uh, your job as a play-by-play guy is to just sort of highlight uh, what is going on, on the floor because, needless to say, people uh, can, can already um, see it. So on one hand, when I'm going to be doing radio this year, I'll have to – do my usual, which is try to describe everything that I possibly can as quickly as I possibly can as the game is going on. And then on television, my job is more or less a sort of a traffic cop. You know, you sort of just push things along. <laughs> you try to set up your analysts and um, get to the next play. So uh, it's two very different things. It will be, honestly, a little bit of a challenge, you know, moving back and forth uh, between the two as often as I will be this season. But I'm looking forward to the challenge, and I'm ready to go. I'm kind of curious from your perspective. Uh, when I look at broadcasters that I kind of idolize and uh, people that I grew up listening to, uh, Milo Hamilton being you know the Astros play-by-play voice for so many years, then Vince Scully, who is going to retire at the end of this season for the Dodgers. Both of those two, I know they're baseball, but they come to mind for uh, great broadcasters. I'm curious, uh, for someone who's been uh, broadcasting for the Rockets for so long, uh, what type of inspirations do you have in the sports of broadcasting? Or is it specifically NBA guys, or do you kind of go outside the sport? Well, when I began as an intern um, with the Rockets uh, back in 1994, the second of the, the two championship seasons was, was my first working for the organization, which timing obviously was pretty good there uh, on my <laughs> behalf. Uh, one of my jobs as an intern was to um, listen and monitor other radio play-by-play guys in the league and, and cut highlights so we could use during our pre-half and post-game shows. So I was exposed very early on to the guys who were at the top of their profession uh, from a basketball standpoint. Now, obviously, first and foremost, Gene Peterson was the biggest influence on me here locally because I was a big fan. I grew up listening to him. I had an opportunity to work with him and learn from him, so he is certainly at the top of the list. But outside of Gene, because of what I was able to do as an intern, I really had an opportunity to get a flavor, an idea of everybody else in the NBA, how they sounded, what they said, what I liked, what I what I disliked, and the one thing to me, at least on the radio side, that stood out is I like guys who had a lot of energy, um, who had a lot of passion. I happen to think that my energy and my enthusiasm um, are my greatest strength. So to that end, long story short, um, outside of Gene, the two biggest basketball play-by-play influences for me, I, I refer to as the two Kevins, one of which many people are familiar with in Kevin Harlan, who's obviously a national voice now with the NFL on CBS and the NBA on TNT. But this was back when he was doing radio play-by-play for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And as good as Kevin Harlan is on television, and he also does the NFL uh, on the radio as well uh, on a weekly basis, um, he was incredible on the radio. So much energy, so much enthusiasm. And then the other Kevin is Kevin Calabro, who honestly I think pound for pound is the best basketball broadcaster uh, in America. Uh, he had been working uh, for the Sonics, um, doing simulcasts with them for a long time before uh, the franchise relocated to Oklahoma City. He decided to not move uh, with the franchise. And in the interim, um, he was just recently the national radio play-by-play voice for ESPN Radio and then was just hired uh, this past summer uh, to handle television duties for the Portland Trailblazers in addition for you know doing all other kinds of things with the Pac-12 network and so forth. And, I, and then two things between the two Kevins, again, that jump out to me were their energy and their enthusiasm, and, and I was heavily influenced by both. And again, I had a chance to listen to them a lot early on as an intern when I was monitoring all these games. Well, I'll second that for you. I mean, speaking for, for people I know and fans that listen, your energy and enthusiasm are also definitely great tools of yours and something special you bring to it. And we're, we're, we're enjoying that it's going to be on television as well because I think it's an even broader medium for people to experience that, and uh, and we're, we're enthused about that. But, but man, you talked about the internship, and I guess you were at HBO at the time. I'm reading from this press release, and that's, that's 22 years with an organization, which to me is a lot of longevity and, and tenure in a field where there's often a lot of turnover and transition, people moving from city to city. And I think it's, it's really cool. What, what does that do for you as a broadcast? 
broadcaster to have that sort of history with the team that you're covering, and I would imagine a, probably a pretty deep love for the organization. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, I, I'm very fortunate to uh, have, have been around as long as I have. In fact, I've worked in some capacities for the, for the Rockets organization more than, more than half my life. Um, and, and, and what I hope it means to my new venture on television, because, look, it's, it's not the easiest thing to um, follow uh, a legendary broadcaster, as was the case with both Gene Peterson and Jim Foley on the radio and now with Bill Worrell on TV, and the irony is that Bill is actually still going to be working, so it's not like he's retired. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be splitting the games with him. So he's still going to be there, and so people are always going to be you know, uh, comparing uh, myself to Bill and what I hope the fact that my longevity has to, uh, shown with the organization uh, is, is that people can, can relate to me and that the transition as a result in part – uh, will be easier for people because, uh, especially over the last seven or eight years since I've been doing the radio, uh, for a lot of people, I'll be uh, a familiar voice. And, you know, there's a saying in this business that you don't want to be the guy who uh, replaces the legend. You want to be the guy who replaced the guy who replaced the legend because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on the, on, on the people in this profession who replace the legendary voice, whether it's on radio or TV, because people have grown so used to them doing their games. And typically when you become have that kind of status, you've been great at it for a very long time. And so a lot of people think that you're never, you're never going to be that person. Uh, you're never going to be as good as that person. And they never accept you uh, in that role. And so what I hope, especially over the last seven or eight years doing what I've done, is that since I have already been on the air and I already have been doing games, it's just a, a different venue, TV as opposed to radio, that that familiarity uh, with the fan base, with the organization, will sort of ease that transition uh, for the fans because, trust me, there's going to be a transition. Uh, people are going to be wondering who I am and what have you done with Bill Warrell, and I get that. Like I said, I've been through it once before. I understand the pressures that come along with it. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and ready for the challenge. You know, I think you're in a unique position to answer sort of a question I have, which is that I think teams have sometimes characters or identities. So you look at like maybe like a Detroit, you know, kind of a tough blue collar mentality or in L.A. you have the glitz and the glamour of the team and so forth. And just as a guy who's been around the Rockets for years and years, do you think that there's a character or identity, something that sort of ties together this team philosophically or thematically? You're talking about the, the current version of, of this team or or are you talking about historically with, with the Rockets? Well, and I wonder if there isn't something that sort of connects all of them, that there isn't sort of a tissue running through it that is a, a common thread. Well, I mean, needless to say, and since Daryl Morey's, uh, and Daryl Morey's tenure as the general manager, I mean, the Rockets have become synonymous with the, in my opinion, rightful explosion of analytics, not only just in the NBA, but in professional sports um, in general. I mean, Daryl's been at the forefront of this renaissance, if you will, um, since he's come in to the league and has been a part of the Rockets' uh, front office. And so I think that's what, first and foremost, people probably currently equate um, with, with the Rockets franchise. But I, I think, historically speaking, and, and again, and that's what everybody's trying to accomplish now is to get back to where they were in the mid-'90s with those championships, I mean, um, is, again, broad stroke, the Rockets' organization over the last – 25, 30 years, has been one of the most successful organizations uh, in the league. Uh, and, and again, um, they've obviously fallen short of their ultimate goal of winning a championship since the, the mid-1990s, but they typically put a winning product on the floor, and from our owner, uh, Mr. Alexander, on down, they try to put the best product that they can at any given time on the court. And so I, I hope that's what fans also equate with the Rockets is that it's an organization that um, doesn't like to take uh, any shortcuts. Again, they, they want to put the best team that they can on the floor at any given moment. You're not going to see this franchise uh, purposefully uh, tank or anything like that. So I'm, I'm hoping, generally speaking, winning is something that people equate with a Rockets franchise. Yeah, it's definitely one of the premier franchises in the NBA. And uh, Craig, I'm kind of curious, you've been with the organization for so long, and there are so many memories that stick out to me growing up in the city, uh, you know, during the clutch city days, I've seen Tracy McGrady score 13 points in 35 seconds. I'm curious for someone who has been around the organization so intimately, is there a specific memory that sticks out to you in your mind? Well, the first year as an intern, I mean, they, they won the 
the second of the of the back to back championships, and that was an incredible experience coming going as Joe fan, uh, you know, just being you know being Joe fan the the season before and celebrating with everybody, and then having a very small part of the organization the second time um, around in my first year as an intern was special and and, and something that um, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, you know, the first season that I was doing play-by-play back in 2008-2009 um, was always very special for me because it was the first time that I had a chance to, you know, I I had made it. You know, I, I had achieved my my lifetime professional goal uh, of doing that. And so that that was great. Uh, obviously, individually, you know, McGrady's 13-35, and 35, uh, Yao Ming's performance in Game 1 against Portland um, back in, uh, boy, I can't, uh, can't quite remember the year. 2000, oh, it was 2009 where he went off in the first quarter. The Rockets won their first playoff series uh, in 12 years. Um, I am the founder and president of the Von Wafer uh, fan club. So doing this <laughs> time uh, with the Rockets. I'm still I mean, that was, go ahead. I said, I'm still paying dues in that fan club. Uh, oh, good, good, good. I'm still cashing those checks as well. So, um, you, know, just, you know, and then the, the, the current version of the team, I mean, just watching James Harden uh, play, um, every single night. I am absolutely fortunate to have the opportunity to be paid um, to talk um, about professional basketball. So there's not a day that goes by in terms of what I do uh, professionally and my association um, with the organization and, and now with Root Sports and, of course, Sports Talk 790. Um, but I, do, I don't cherish every moment of it. I mean, I, I absolutely pinch myself uh, every day and, um, and uh, I still think back to to when um, I was in college and I was doing games on our student station. I graduated from Sam Houston, and I remember doing my last game uh, at the conference uh, men's basketball tournament and the team getting knocked out of the tournament and literally thinking at that point that I would never, ever be able to do this again. And to think 20-plus years later, uh, again, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the opportunities that I've been given. Um, I take none of this for granted. Looking at last season, I, Trevor Reza had a quote that I was interested in. He said the love and excitement wasn't there, which I thought was uh, kind of a revealing quote. As, as a broadcaster, as a guy who's with the team, sees the team, is that something you can see playing out on the court? And was that something you saw uh, definitively last season? It was a rough season last year. It was it was frustrating. It was disappointing. Um, at times, it was depressing. I mean, like the Rockets were coming off of a 56-win season the year before advanced to the Western Conference Finals. The expectations, rightfully so, um, were through the roof for that team last year. And, yes, you know, I have typically been a guy that has said the preseason and training camp really doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But as we all witnessed firsthand last year, it kind of does. I mean, the Rockets got off to the wrong foot early in camp with guys um, not coming in, quite being ready, a lot of early injuries. Um, Dwight Howard only played the you know one half of the first preseason game and never really even practiced for the rest of the month. And all of the issues that we had that ultimately we saw throughout the course of the year were right there in front of us uh, in the preseason. And, and with the benefit of hindsight, um, you could tell that the team had issues early on and never could get out of the funk and it permeated to you know every game of every week of every month of the season and not to say that there weren't some exciting times last year but the expectations were high the team did not live up to those expectations and and from ownership on down um, everybody has recognized that they've recognized that the need to get better this year, and, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, a lot of changes in the offseason with Mike D'Antoni coming in as the new head coach for the Rockets. And uh, from everything that we've seen on the outside looking in, it seems that the team uh, is sort of gelling together, at least becoming more of a, a team that has chemistry, at least from an offseason perspective. And with the new talent coming in this season, obviously Michael Beasley going away and Tyler Ennis coming in last week. Uh, how do you see uh, the Rockets shaping up this year in terms of team chemistry? Are they going to... Uh, be that club that is going to be able to work together and play together to get more than 40 wins a season? Well, I think, they're, I think their record is going to be better um, than it was last year. I know there are a lot of people on the outside sort of poo-pooing uh, this particular group, and health is first and foremost a huge caveat for this team. I mean, they, they've, 
the three guys that they brought in free agency wise are extremely talented, but they've had some injury issues over the last couple of years. And it's paramount for Anderson and Gordon and Nene to stay healthy this year in order for the Rockets, you know, to ultimately um, be at their best. But I, I think you're going to see what the Rockets have been doing over the last couple of years. Um, ratchet it up a little bit because now they have guys who are reliable, consistent three-point shooters with Gordon and Anderson. They're going to shoot as many threes um, as, as they have. And, of course, that means that they've been at the top of the NBA the last several seasons, which have been record-breaking numbers. I think you're going to continue to see uh, that trend, not only from this team, uh, but from the entire league in general. But now, uh, more or less, they have more guys who you can rely upon to stretch the floor and knock down those shots. And I think this is going to be um, a near unstoppable, again, with the caveat of health, offense. I think they're going to be an elite offensive team. I think they have the potential to be one of the three best offensive units uh, in the league for the reasons that I just mentioned. Um, defensively, though, there are a lot of question marks, huge question marks um, with this group. One of the main reasons why they took such a significant step back last season is that they just stopped defending um, after being one of the, the better defensive teams in the league the year before. So they've got to get back to defending, but the guys they brought in aren't exactly known as great defenders. And so they're going to have to find a way to defend uh, with more or less a, a team concept with guys like Pat Beverly and Trevor Reza and Clint Capella um, really being responsible for picking up most of the defensive responsibilities. And so with my hopes and thoughts that this team is going to be a top three offense, if I think if the Rockets can be in the middle of the pack defensively, last year they were bottom third. If they can just be at worst in the middle of the pack uh, defensively, I think this is a team that has, has a chance to win 50 games, 50-plus 50 games um, in what is, you know, has been and will continue to be a stacked West. But that, that's to me where this that, – that I just don't know. I don't know where this team is going to be defensively. I, I think they're going to score a ton of points, but I'm just interested to see where the development of this group is at the defensive end of the floor. I think the narrative in the NBA is that you sort of live and die with your superstar player when you're when you're fortunate enough to have one, and we are, uh, or at least the Rockets are, in having James Harden. And uh, and I think to an extent, this team will be judged by how well Coach Mike D'Antoni is able to maximize Harden's uh, talents while minimizing his deficiencies. Uh, you've seen a lot of players playing a lot of games in the NBA, and just given the landscape of the current NBA, where do you think that James Harden ranks in terms of the guys that are out there performing at the absolute highest levels? Well, I mean, he's a top five, top ten player talent-wise uh, in the league. The things that he does on a nightly basis, so very few people um, in the league can. And the Rockets are, are very fortunate uh, to have him. Well, he had a terrible first month of the season last year and still ended up putting up numbers that only four players in league history um, have ever done. Uh, the ball is in his hands a ton. Um, you know, he is a, he's a willing and able passer, I hope, with, with Coach D'Antoni's system. Uh, and, and the movement that it will create, the Rockets will be less stagnant, um, and James's assist numbers um, will, will go up, that some of the offensive pressure from him um, will be relieved as well. But James has to get back to playing uh, with an attention to detail defensively that he did two seasons ago when he finished runner-up to Steph Curry in the MVP. Um, He's never going to be confused as a lockdown defender. He's not Tony Allen. He's not the Hall of Famer Gary Payton. He'll never be a lockdown defender. But he's got to, he's got to put forth um, the effort and the attention to detail at that end of the floor, uh, again, in order for this team to be um, at its best. And maybe some of that has to do with the fact that so much of the pressure to score last year and every facet was on his shoulders that this year with guys who could put the ball in the hole with Gordon and Anderson, that some of that pressure will be relieved for him offensively, and he can get back to put, you know, putting forth the effort that he needs to put forth uh, at the defensive end of the court. So, uh, you know, we talked a minute ago about Tyler Ennis coming in, and he's a guy that I think has been um, un underutilized maybe, or at least has some untapped potential in terms of what he might be able to do, and a guy I expect to take a step forward. But there's other young players on this team as well. We talk about uh, Gary Payton, not senior, the Gary Payton II. Uh, there, there are some other uh, guys that I think could take a step forward. Who do you anticipate to have that sort of breakout season or, or to be radically more effective, the most improved player on the team, if you will? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think because of his role, uh, 
the first guy that comes to mind is Clint Capella. He's going to go from – and last year when he actually started at a four, a power forward alongside Dwight Howard, the Rockets, that was their best five-man combination that they had um, last year. But I, because of the role that he's going to be given, and, and they didn't allude to whether or not he has been you know, penned in as the starter at center, you know, the, the Coach D'Antoni – reference that it was still to be determined but his role is going to increase exponentially he's going to go from a backup guy playing 15 20 minutes a game to someone who's playing 25 30 minutes a game against frontline players and by virtue of that i think he's the guy that's got the biggest potential to take the biggest leap the rockets have been very um bullish on his potential since he's arrived um he showed dramatic improvement from his rookie season uh, to last year, and now the same is going to be expected from two to year three, especially playing um, with the increased role. And he's a guy that, that you're going to have to really focus in on because if the Rockets are going to get better defensively, he's going to have to be one of those guys that, that takes that ball and runs with it because um, they don't have a whole lot of um, great defensive players um, on the roster, and so he's going to have to really concentrate on that end of the floor, rebound, block shots, defend the rim. But I, I think he his per 36 numbers, if you will, have been amazing. We'll see if those actually extrapolate to um, you know a 30-minute game on average on the court because I, it's a big leap of faith that the organization is taking in him, and let's see if he can deliver. Yeah, quite an exciting uh, offseason for the Rockets, and hopefully uh, everything gels together and they're able to make a push, a deep playoff run this year. But again, the Rockets open the season Wednesday, October 26th at the Staples Center against the Lakers before back-to-back games against the Dallas Mavericks. Then on November 1st, head to Cleveland to take on LeBron James and the defending NBA champs. And uh, Craig Ackerman, we look forward to watching you uh, this year on Root Sports in addition to hearing you on 790 here in Houston. And uh, for those that kind of want to follow your journey, uh, you're pretty active on social media. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you uh ca underscore rockets so that's a that's the best way i encourage that kind of stuff i could use some more i could use some more <laughs> followers but uh thank you guys again uh for having me on and all the encouraging words i really do appreciate it and, and i can't i literally I can't wait to get this thing going. Yeah, we're definitely excited to uh, watch you on TV and hear you on the radio, and uh, congratulations on the promotion. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. This past Monday, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump squared off in their first of three presidential debates, which, according to Nielsen, was the highest-rated televised debate with more than 84 million people tuning in. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast to discuss this and more is Dylan Bedore, who you might remember joined us on episode 42 of the podcast. And Dylan, we are a few days removed from the debate, and it appears that Trump is doing damage control while Clinton is claiming victory. What were your reactions following the first debate? Well, it was very apparent that Clinton had put a lot of preparation in where Trump had not, uh, and they actually admitted that, um, both of them. Trump has this style of kind of winging it, which he's proud of, but Oh, as various observers pointed out, that style had worked a lot better for him in the primary debates when there were other candidates and he got a lot more silence time on stage. Now that it was either, you know, Clinton or him talking, there were many points when he kind of fuddled around for words and responses. Um, and he said a lot of stuff, I think, that, that he might regret saying. And, and that's what is occupying the majority of his damage control now. Dylan, sort of looking at uh, some of the focus groups after the debate, it seems like the, the unanimous decision by most of those focus groups, with a few exceptions, was that Hillary Clinton won the debate. However, uh, it didn't seem to move the needle much in terms of who these guys, who these voters would actually vote for in the election. Do you think that this is because debates generally don't move the needle in terms of poll numbers? Or do we think that maybe Donald Trump being a non-politician is being held to a different standard? That's certainly true that he's being held to a different standard as it has been uh, throughout the entire race. Uh, Also, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical of how many voters could remain undecided at this point that we've been doing this election for more than a year now. Um, Seems like people have had a lot of time to size these candidates up. Uh, And the people who like Donald Trump, they, you know, he didn't pull out any surprises for them. He didn't pull out any surprises for any of us. We kind of knew what to expect and we got it. Um, so 
we'll we'll see unless you know barring some major scandal or some huge revelation uh it, i would don't imagine that anything is going to change the needle that much you know, kind of tying into that idea, I, I watched the debates, of course, like a lot of people did. They were fodder for articles and talk shows like this and a lot of people discussing them. But I think there is that sense that they're not really changing people's minds. What is the value of a debate in this current electoral climate with social media, with people that are already more or less decided here? I mean, what what is the point of this? It seems like it's just kind of feeding our desire to talk about it rather than doing anything to clarify positions or change minds. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a question. I don't know who has to answer that. Maybe the electoral commission or someone in charge here but you know this election has has had many aspects that that raise questions like that kind of what are we doing here um it's certainly not normal and as i said before the the most unique aspect here aside from you know donald trump being a major party candidate um is that we have been watching this go on and we've been watching his antics we've been hearing about hillary clinton and her you know, emails and Benghazi and all the exact same talking points now over and over and over again uh, for months and months. So it does make a great television event when you have this debate, but uh, I think a lot of people, especially undecided voters, would be kind of anxious to hear some new material brought out, and that would be great (laughs) to see in a debate, but I I, I don't know if we're going to get that. To me, it seems that nothing has really surprised me from this election cycle. And uh, Howard Dean sent out a tweet on Monday night suggesting that uh, Donald Trump was using cocaine. And I, I mean, to me, this seems unprecedented for a presidential campaign. And I'm curious from your perspective, is this just par for the course in 2016? I guess. You know, it's been full of surprises all the way along. And we still got a couple more months to go and we still got two more debates. Um as things like this become normalized, you know, for example, Donald Trump was so shocking at first, but now now we're kind of used to it. It has it's become some to some extent more acceptable just because we've gotten used to it. And Howard Dean, we had a major national politician wondering if one of the candidates used drugs before the debate. That also is a little bit out of the out of the norm, but. Who knows? Uh, you know, I was thinking maybe they'll just go all in and the next debate gets hosted on the Disney Channel or something like that. And we can really, <laughs> you know, make a spectacle out of it. One of the issues that came up and I thought was a particularly damaging moment while watching it was when Clinton uh, pressed Trump on his taxes, releasing his taxes. And she came back with like a four line, uh, pretty good, pretty good lines about, uh, you know, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Maybe he's not whatever. But I thought that would be more damaging because Trump more or less to me implicitly admitted like, hey, even if I had given you guys taxes, you know, you would have misused them. It would have been squandered, too, he said, which seemed to me like an implicit admission. And I feel like people haven't really jumped on that to the extent that I thought they would. And it seems like that hasn't been the issue that I thought it would here a couple of days after. Is that something that's still coming or are people just not concerned about that? Well, that's that's a big question overlying this election is many things not being the issue that we would think that they would be. But, yeah, you precisely as you point out the tax issue, I mean, I kind of got squinty eyed listening to that thinking, what? What did he just say? Because especially when he said um, Clinton said maybe he's not paying any federal income taxes, and he jumped in, interrupted her, said that makes me smart. And so we're thinking, what did he? Does that mean he's not paying taxes? Or because that, you know, is not a typical position for a presidential candidate to take. That it's smart to get out of your federal income taxes. Um, he, that's on the question of the tax returns, which Trump has not released, which is extremely abnormal, uh, I think unprecedented for a presidential candidate, that, I, I mean, that would be a major, you know, a new update in this election, which we haven't gotten yet, of will he release his tax returns, and uh, it doesn't seem, there's no indication that he will. So that'll be left up to investigative reporters to poke around on there, and that admission that he gave certainly fuels the search a little bit more. But as far as now, we can't do that much besides just kind of talk about the fact that he hinted at not paying anything. Uh, Dylan, sort of uh, looking at uh, Donald Trump's bargain with Hillary, I mean, if she releases the emails, he'll release his taxes, but I don't see that happening. Um, but uh, kind of looking at Donald Trump as a candidate right now, you know, just looking at some of these polls, looking at some of the reaction, do we think that maybe 
you know, given even though Donald Trump had a had a kind of mediocre to poor debate performance, do we think that because he is such a different candidate that uh, this m- might not affect him going into the future? Um, I'm, I'm sort of thinking back to the 2012 election where Mitt Romney had a really strong first debate performance. And then, you know, the last two debates were sort of a draw or arguably Obama won. And so, yeah, that's what they say about that election that you know, Obama kind of flunked the first debate, but then it was a wake-up call, and he got really prepared. Um, he came out and rocked the second two debates. I, I don't, I don't really see how that situation could apply here, even though everyone has been comparing it. <laughs> what we saw in the primary debates is that, uh, you know, people love Trump for exactly what he does, and he does what he does. Um, so he. It was the most viewed presidential debate ever. It was a success in that in that term. Um, I, I can't imagine it turning many people off. I, there was some talk that Trump might cancel the next two debates. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, for example, came out and, and said he didn't think Trump should agree to appear in the other debates unless they set some terms for the moderator being fair. Well, you know, he... He had his own qualms there, um, which I don't think were legitimate, but we'll see. And and Trump has before threatened to pull out of debates. He has pulled out of debates. He did that once in the primary. That would be really shocking if he got away with that in the general election now, but I would not take it off the table um, that that if, if this one hurts him too much or if he decides he didn't like the experience of standing up there on stage, then he'll say, that's enough. That's pretty drastic, but I wouldn't take it off the table. That is mind-boggling to me. And you talk about the moderator. I actually thought my impression leaving that debate or or turning off my browser, I guess, was that Lester Holt had given him uh, a lot of of leash, a lot of freedom in that debate. And if he's unsatisfied with that, I can't imagine, you know, (laughs) what situation he's going to be successful. It basically seems to me like he's failing at all the things you need to do well at in order to be president. And yet he still has the support. I just find it absolutely mind. What would you what would how would you assess uh, Lester Holt's performance in that debate and the way he moderated it? I think Holt did a fine job. That's that's a real tough situation to be in. I felt sorry for him on several occasions because you know you got <laughs> presidential candidates talking over you, and he's walking a fine line because if he brings the hammer down to shut anyone down, he's going to be thrashed the next morning uh, in the news for being partisan. And even though he is a registered Republican, but uh, watching that debate, you know, I kind of thought that maybe in future debates the moderator should get the controls for the candidates' microphones that he can only turn them on when they're allowed to talk. That seems like it would uh, bring a lot more order to the spectacle. Um, you know, otherwise he faced the difficult situation of how to fact-check the debate, which I guess has never really been a big concern in American presidential debates, but now it is. Uh, there were many mm, false statements thrown out there, and when you're doing it on live TV, that puts the host in a real tough position of, you know, they don't want to be talking and they're not going to be citing sources up there and making a case to to prove what the candidate has just said is not true. So they kind of got to go along with it as best they can. Um, It's a tough position to be in. I think Holt did as good a job as he can do. Yeah, I thought he did a great job moderating as well. And uh, a few moments ago, you mentioned that the Trump campaign and uh, specifically Rudy Giuliani uh, were suggesting that Trump should not, uh, you know, go through the next two debates. And one of the narratives that's been coming out of this election cycle has been the conspiracy theory that the election system is rigged. Uh, Donald Trump has stated that, quote, we know it's a rigged system. All you have to do is ask Bernie Sanders and you'll see. Even Hillary Clinton's camp has said that it's an alarming question when the Russian government appears to be attempting to influence the outcome of the election. And I'm curious, as a voter in 2016, can we finally put these theories to rest? Well, I think these theories are doing the opposite of going to rest. They're they're coming out in 2016. Uh, and that's really, that's kind of, you know, becoming a little bit dangerous because that's laying the groundwork for people to uh, reject the outcome of the election or, or something. I'm, uh, it's mind-boggling why Trump would be bringing that up. Um the hacks also are another concerning, you know, element of presidential elections in the digital age. Uh, but the real question here is if he keeps talking that up, that this is not fair and this is rigged, 
uh, and Giuliani is somehow making the case that the debate was playing by those same rules. Um, whoever wins, there's going to be probably widespread discontent. You know, uh, it, the the fan base of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are being set up to not tolerate the other candidate, um, you know, being elected. And if Donald Trump is saying that the if if his opponent, if Clinton is elected, it will be by some kind of corruption, which is, you know, everybody knows how the electoral system works. There's there's definitely not people like stuffing ballot boxes, or, or he doesn't specifically say what what is happening here. Um, it's not it's not <laughs> safe to to give voters that impression because of of how people may react to the outcome of the election. But it's certainly fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, I agree. And one of the fascinating things for me in this election is Gary Johnson, a third-party candidate. He's been polling moderately well, not quite at that 15% to get him into the debates. But I'm curious, right now we have, you know, two candidates that aren't well-liked in Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. In our lifetime, do you think we're going to see a U.S. president that is not a Republican or Democrat? I mean, I don't think Gary Johnson's the guy, but do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. That, you know, it's a long way out. Lots of stuff could happen. But, um, you know, there's a lot of question over what will happen to the Republican Party after this, Um, either particularly if, if Trump loses, because, you know, Trump would be, he would be notable, pretty remarkable as an independent candidate, but he would fit in all right. As a major party candidate for the Republican Party, that's that's where it becomes, you know, a little bit more shocking, and that's where he throws into question, oh, the future of the Republican Party uh, as it relates to this two-party system, especially if he loses. And there's a lot of people speculating on theory of what, what could happen um, if he loses, since he's polarized that base so much. Uh, him and Ted Cruz and the other candidates have kind of, you know, split some some cracks wide open in that party. And and if that if that were to happen, that would be a significant weakening of the two-party system, which would lay the groundwork, you know, for another party to become competitive. What party would it be? That's a good question, also, because really the only other ones we have that that ever have candidates is the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, and their their um, you know infrastructure, political infrastructure, is just not anywhere near what the Republican and Democratic parties are. But this might be the time. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see on that one. Dylan, just sort of parroting off that last point you made about the future of the Republican Party if Donald Trump loses, I'm kind of curious, what are, what are your thoughts about the same scenario happening to the Democrats if Hillary loses? Uh, you know, with the, the, the front runners being Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in the Democratic primary, it didn't seem like the Democrats had a lot of fresh talent, um, you know, on the backbench there to kind of, you know, be the next man up for the next cycle. So what do you think about the future of the Democratic Party if Trump were to win the presidency? Yeah, that's a good point. There don't seem like any up-and-coming leaders, and I don't think Bernie Sanders has probably not got another election cycle in him. <laughs> um, so um, we're, that it's kind of all up in the air, you know? The speculations have been generally off in this cycle, but there is a good chance there that, you know, the Bernie Sanders crowd leaves the the, the Democrats, which many of them actually seem to have been uh, coming into the Democratic Party for the first time, previously being uh, not not most of them, but many of them previously being, um, you know, relatively uninvolved. Um, they could go to a Green Party. They could found a new party. They could just become apathetic and uninvolved. Uh, it's hard to see, but but you know this election is. Probably in in a large way, America's reckoning with our two-party system, and nobody really knows how it's going to come out.
Well, that is, uh, that is <laughs> to me, it reads as almost discouraging. I'm, I'm, uh, I come away from this debate feeling not terrific. I think a lot of people feel the same way. But uh, I do feel terrific that you joined us, Dylan. We certainly appreciate your time, as always. Since we last touched base with you, your assignment has changed. I believe you are covering the Cruise campaign when we first caught up with you here on the show. Now you're writing a series of articles titled Explained. I think you're covering Texas. Is that right? Yes, that's true. I write a section now at the Chronicle called The Explainer. So I'll explain to you everything you need to know from border stats on immigration to cybercrime, and I even did uh, laws for tiger owners in Texas, so you never know what you'll get. <laughs> I saw that tiger one. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, so yeah, Dylan, the explainer, you can reach out and call him at home. He'll explain anything to you. That's his new job at the Chronicle. Dylan, how can the uh, listeners find you on social media? Uh, you just find me on Facebook, Twitter, search Dylan Badour, D-Y-L-A-N-B-A-D-D-O-U-R, and you'll find me right there. Awesome, man. Well, it's been an absolute delight. We appreciate you breaking down the debate for us, and we'll catch up with you again soon. And my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Awesome, man. Well, it's been an absolute delight. We appreciate you breaking down the debate for us, and we'll catch up with you again soon. And my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Closing time. So we just had two great interviews from Craig Ackerman and Dylan Bedore. Thanks to both of them for joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. But uh, before we go into kind of reviewing and kind of offering our thoughts on those two interviews, uh, shout out to the United States for winning the Ryder Cup this year. And also uh, Major League Baseball playoffs are here. Uh, we're not going to talk about it this year. Uh, yeah, the Astros are not in the postseason. So uh, we look forward to 2017 and seeing what happens then. But, uh, Kevin, I'm, I'm kind of interested. Uh, Craig Ackerman, it was phenomenal to be able to talk with someone of his stature uh, who covers a team so intimately, who's you know worked with the Rockets for the past 20 years. I thought his interview was phenomenal. I'm curious what your thoughts were. Yeah, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of uh, big, important people at times. Uh, really, all of them are important to me because they come to the show, and I love them for it. But uh, but he was a guy I grew up listening to and really had a lot of respect for. And some of the most um, pivotal moments in my sports fandom kind of revolve around calls that I heard him make. And so it was really cool hearing his insight and perspective into the Rockets, uh, both in the past and his history with that team, which is a very long uh, history, and then going forward into the future as well. I, for one, am very optimistic about the upcoming season. I think that... Uh, the departure of Dwight Howard is addition by subtraction. Uh, I love the the sort of young, uh, hungry team that we've assembled here, um, and I like the extra pieces we added in the offseason. So so uh, Craig Ackerman just kind of added to the excitement I already have about this upcoming NBA season, and it is upon us. You and I actually are headed uh, to the Toyota Center in just moments to watch uh, the Rockets take on the Shanghai Sharks in an exhibition match that will feature my old, not buddy, he doesn't know me, he would never recognize me, Jimmer Fredette, a guy who I liked a lot, certainly who's was playing in college. I was going to say, I don't, I don't see you going to be you is that something new that we just haven't heard about <laughs> no he I just I followed him he was a guy that I, I sort of liked watching and so I'm sure I'm going to enjoy watching him tonight assuming he's going to be there which uh, all reports indicated that he would be yeah, absolutely the Rockets tip off the season October 26th against the Lakers on the road and they go on the road to the Mavericks on October 28th before returning to the Toyota Center for their home opener against the Mavericks on Sunday October 30th and the big game that I have circled is against the Cleveland Cavaliers on November 1st a lot of excitement there and uh, Jeremy Dolores still and Bedore coming on for the second time uh, to discuss politics. And we are so much closer now uh, to the election. When we had him on uh, back in March, I don't think any of us thought that, you know, Trump would end up being the Republican nominee. And now here he is 40 days away from potentially becoming, God forbid, the president of the United States. Yeah, no, that's actually funny you say that. I had this, you know, sulking fear in the back of my mind when he announced his candidacy and he popped up in the polls, and I, you know, I saw some of his rallies, and I was like, there's a chance this guy could do it. There's a chance this guy could do it. The, the, the field is so good this year that you know, Rubio, Cruz, they're all going to split the, the sane vote, and then you know, Trump will win by plurality. And I think that's basically what happened. Um, that being said, yeah, it's uh, I, I, Dylan coming on to talk, um, of course, then and now about it, two completely different worlds we live in. Um, between March and, and now, you know, so close to the election. Uh, but he, he offered some, some great analysis. I, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating coming in here to the first VP debate. Um, we're going to see what's going to happen between Tim Kaine and Mike Pence. Don't know if anyone's going to tune into that. But um, certainly looking forward to the next one between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I don't know uh, because uh, something we did talk about with Dylan, because Trump is such an unconventional candidate, if there's much that can slow him down with some uh, segments of the population. But who knows? It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Uh, I'm just sort of uh, happy to spectate on the sidelines. If you're a political junkie, this election is one for the books. Well, I'm not a political junkie, but I'm really looking forward to the next uh, debate. Any reason why? I mean, it's entertaining. Is it, it though? It, it really is. It's 
kind of like football. I, I was I was glued to the television. Well, not television, computer screen. I don't have cable. Everybody knows that. I did it from BuzzFeed and had the emojis. It was like the emoji commentaries that was going on. It was so painfully stupid. I hated it. And I kept watching it even though I hated it, which is like a hallmark of me as a person. I love to hate things. Well, it, it, it's better than what I did. I was actually sitting at a, a brewery in El Segundo, California, right outside of Los Angeles, uh, drinking some IPAs and following on Twitter, DVR at the debate. And so when I got home, I actually watched it. But I'm glad I didn't watch it live. It was... I don't know. I could fast forward through things. It was discouraging. It it was just uh, unpleasant to watch. I thought it was not entertaining in the classical sense. It was uh, electric uh, in some ways, but not not encouraging. Certainly not thrilled about where we stand as a country at the moment. But uh, it is what it is, and I think that at least having the scientific polls come out and people have had time to respond and react to it. Clinton obviously uh, won by a pretty wide margin in most people's minds. So at least there was not that attendant insanity of people thinking somehow Trump came out on top in that thing. Yeah, well, I will say, watching the debate, it's discouraging if you're a conservative like myself uh, because what became apparent is that this election has become one glorified Democratic primary. Trump, uh, you know, is kind of like an old school teamster Democrat. Hillary, kind of a new way progressive. Um, yeah, no, if you're a conservative like a Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio conservative, I mean, this election is very discouraging. But that being said, um, <clears throat> the next one should be interesting because apparently Donald Trump is upping his debate prep quite a bit. Um, but then again, you know, who knows uh, if the debates will, you know, swing the polls at all. So well, we just have yet to see. I just want to see him go absolutely nuts in a debate. I just think that would be must-see television. Like, you know, he kept on interrupting. I believe he interrupted Hillary Clinton something like 54 times is what yeah, the number 30, was. 39 or 40, I think, is the official count. Yeah, yeah, so he was saying, like, wrong, nope. Like, I want to see him just, like, throw down the gauntlet and just, you know, come out WWE style and, you know, just absolutely, you know, prove how unprofessional and unqualified he is as a candidate. And I just want to see that just from a television perspective, like, just pure entertainment. Donald, please do us a favor. Austin, are you suggesting that the WWE pair with Donald Trump for the next uh, presidential debate to co-sponsor it? I mean, think about it. You could have Chris Christie off on the sideline with like a, a chair, you know, handing it so he can like body slam Hillary Clinton. I mean, it could be fascinating television. I don't know who you'd have on the uh, the Democratic side. Would you have like, uh, I don't know, you know, Bernie Sanders come out like you know being all crazy. Biden would definitely get involved Biden. if there's a if there's a pro wrestling style format. I see Biden as definitely being like a big time hype guy. Make it happen, America. This is something that the Weekly Brew wants, and uh, you know, heck, if ABC, CBS, Fox, CNN, if they won't sponsor it, we'll sponsor it. Yeah, that's right. We and We Desserts will get behind it and sponsor it. If you enjoyed this uh, fumbling attempt at wrestling talk, listen in next week because Alex Del Barrio will join us and actually inform us a little bit about what there is to like in wrestling. He's already promised to come on and, uh, and educate us a little bit because none of us here at this table are wrestling fans at all. But a lot of you are. And, um, and I think less of you at the moment, but we're going to see if Alex can change my mind. I'll tell you what, it, it's surprising that SportsCenter now covers... WWE. I, I have no idea why that is the case. They covered WrestleMania. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, it's entertainment. It's not a sport. It's a legitimate thing. Well, I think that people would argue with you on that. It's uh, it's it sort of to me seems to exist at this weird intersection of soap opera and sports. But but again, I will claim total ignorance on this, and I am willing to be educated. And Del Barrio has assured me that he will do just that next. Jeremy, week. you smell something cooking. What no, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> As a rip off, I'm sure. No. Um, Aren't the outcomes pre-planned in, in, in pro wrestling? Like all of it's staged, all the, the monologues, the so backstories. Like so much like the American political system, right? <laughs> no, very I mean, it was totally rigged that Donald Trump was running for president, right? This is totally a move to get Hillary elected. No, no, no. If it was rigged, he would not be the nominee right now. What the Republican Party should have done is what the Democratic Party did in rigging the system to make sure that they had the candidate that they wanted. I don't know. This is something that uh, Dylan Bedore mentioned, and it's the possibility of so many Americans on both sides thinking that the, the election could be rigged, whether it's uh, Democrats believing that the Russians are interfering or if it's, uh, you know, the Republican minority base that supports Donald Trump thinking that uh, it's rigged against them. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens on November 9th when Hillary wins the election and what happens with Donald Trump's radical supporters. So they do they riot. I don't know. And, and to me, that that's really frightening. I think those are a blow. I don't think they're going to riot. There's no way. I think either way. I mean, if there's going to be riots on one side, I'd see riots on the other. But. I, I think you're going to have couch burning in West Virginia regardless. Well, I think you're going to have couch burning in West Virginia regardless of anything. <laughs>
That's just some state where that happens. Good for them. And if you want to burn couches, we want to make sure that you tell us about it on iTunes. Uh, tell us your best way to uh, burn a couch. And uh, Kevin, do, do we have any reviews this week? We didn't. TechnoCoog from last week is still the most recent review. So thank you again, TechnoCoog. Because of uh, a technicality, you are now our two-time listener of the week. Uh, and you will continue to be so until someone else gets on there and leaves us a review. Is it really so much to ask? I've tried cajoling. I've tried being angry. Nothing really has seemed to work to the extent that I would like it to. Uh, we're one away from 60. It's a big round number. I think people think differently of us when they see that number 60 next to our number of reviews. So, hey, somebody get on iTunes for crying out loud and leave us a five-star review of the blurb. We'll read it out to our fans and uh, and we'll all love you. Kevin will even take you to a Rockets game if you leave us a review. I swear to God I will. And these are these are, these are are courtside seats too. So, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. You can look me up at K. Michael Cook. I will make that happen for you. He will make that happen. So that's a promise. If you leave the next person that leaves an iTunes review, get courtside seats with Kevin Cook at a Rockets game this year. So if you disappear, we're, we're going to have a, a good idea of what's happened to you. It's going to be a fan of the Weekly Brew who's come to... We don't, we don't call them fans. We're not super famous. These are listeners. They're part of our family. We're not on a pedestal above them. And me... Probably not entirely like us. They're they're listening to the show. They're not making the show, but but they're great people, and we're fans of all of them as well. So it's it's a two way street, and uh, and the reason that I'm so upset is because it is a two way street, and you guys are not living up to your end of this bargain. So uh, so get on it. Uh, it will not be too hard to turn things around and have me be very happy with you again. Make Kevin's life happy. Make your life happy by going sitting courtside at the Rockets game. So leave us a review on iTunes. Tell us what you like. Give us show ideas. Tell us interview ideas, guest ideas. Uh, if you want us to interview Hillary Clinton, tell us about it. We will make sure that we try and reach out to her. We have already, actually. She turned us down. Yeah, so we'll, we'll try to get her on. At least at least someone from her staff. Uh, we actually hope to have someone on her staff on uh, here in the next few weeks on the podcast. But uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's show. I, I know that I absolutely loved uh, getting together with all of you for the first time in like the same room for what seems like uh, multiple months. But uh, if you like what you heard here today, make sure to follow us on our social media platforms. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But a uh, special shout out to Craig Ackerman for joining us on this week's show. Also, Dylan Bedore for being a two-time guest on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, for my co-host this week, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxson, and Dolores Lozano, I'm Austin Statton. I'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 